On December 4th, the New York Times published an investigative piece exposing Pornhub because of videos depicting actual rape, torture, child abuse, and other egregious types of violence against mostly women. These articles, on top of the work done by Trafficking Hub and Nikosi, were part of calling out Pornhub for profiting off sexual abuse and trafficking. That is what brings us here today. But more than that, this is an opportunity to talk about the relationship between pornography and sex trafficking, beyond just Pornhub. Is this just an example of poor management of online content by corporations? Or does this speak to something larger? And what could we even think to do about it as it's such an accepted legal part of our society? Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer, and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT, and you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. My co-host today is Annie Sovic, the Busting on the Lookout Program Director. Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Helen. It's great to be here. And so as your co-host, um, I am now pleased to welcome our guest from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, Jake Robertson. So, Jake, could you introduce yourself, tell us about the work of Nikosi, how you got involved in this, and how your work connects to the anti-sex trafficking movement? Absolutely. Great to be with both of you this morning. Um, I am the Vice President and Director of Communications at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And um, even before coming to the the National Center, these were issues that weighed on my mind as as a husband and as a father and, and just as a man, frankly, thinking through the way that different forms of sexual exploitation are interconnected and overlap and feed and fuel one another. So when the opportunity arose for me to join the team at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, uh, it was a, a natural fit. So as we start this conversation, I was just reading and hearing more and more about how those involved in pornography How do you know their age? How do you know that they want to be there? Can you talk more about maybe that perspective? Yeah. Beyond even that ethical decision that each individual has to make of deciding to consume another human being, what we have seen over decades with the pornography industry is that there is no credible way to verify age, identity, consent in any of this material online. The pornography industry has long had clearly not very meaningful modes of documentation required for production of its content. And still, because there's not enough willing participants, the pornography industry sex traffics people in at young ages, drug and alcohol are used to coerce and sedate performers. Um, There's physical and sexual abuse on and offset and high burdens of sexually transmitted disease. Like all these things have proven over time, we're unable to regulate them away. So not only does uh, somebody deciding to consume pornography have to realize that I may be seeing a child, I may be seeing somebody being raped, I may be seeing non-consensually shared pornography, this person may have been sex trafficked. They also have to realize that None of the measures that have been implemented to regulate away these harms have been effective. Jake, can you talk a little bit about the efforts to regulate this? And one of the things that I've been particularly interested in as it relates to regulation is, you know, the the global nature of this. So if you have one country that tries to regulate Does it just mean there's going to be greater exploitation in other locations, but people are still going to be accessing really violent and exploitative content? So it's a great question. And as an example of 
that Pornhub, in the wake of all the allegations of abuse and exploitation that surfaced in December of 2020, though many have surfaced over the years even prior to that, they announced forms of self-regulation. We'll, we'll have some biometric user identification, and we'll have more content moderators, and we'll release a transparency report, and then everything will be okay. But what that ignores is the fact that, one, again, like we just talked about, that there are so many different ways around those forms of documentation because, for example, biometric user identification just requires you to send a picture of the user and a picture of an ID. So IDs can be faked or IDs can be stolen and confiscated. That's a common tactic of traffickers, so it doesn't stop that problem there. The first point is even forms of documentation, regardless of where they're implemented, have proven that they cannot stop this problem. But then two, to your other point, no matter where we try little forms of regulation, what we're doing is we're trying to put a Band-Aid on a fire hose because pornography as a whole is predicated on fulfilling the dehumanized and depersonalized sexual demand of the consumer. And if we don't start targeting the source of the problem, demand of commercial sex buyers, whether that's for buying sex in person or online through pornography, we're always going to be addressing symptoms and never dealing with the root of the problem. We read as a staff this book called Pimp State uh, by Kat Banyard, and I highly recommend it. We're not just talking about a moral argument here. We're looking at a multitude of studies that are then talking about the greater impacts of pornography, period. Even if we're talking about consent, even if we're talking about adults, the impacts of what we're seeing in pornography and that we're seeing violence being verbally abused. Majority of the people receiving that abuse are women, not ever, all the time, but the majority are. But I want to point out and talk about this like greater impact that pornography in general can have that is worth looking at and exploring. And is that more of what you at Nikosi are talking about as well? Yeah, for us, it's looking at how all of these fit together, because we think that viewing any of them in isolation misses the bigger picture. And that to truly understand the nature of sexual abuse and exploitation at large, we have to understand the way that these different areas impact one another, the way sex trafficking and pornography both feed into and out of one another, you know, people being trafficked into pornography, pornography being produced, then being consumed, and then consumers being more likely to then go and purchase people for sex in real life. And then potentially filming pornography with them, which then gets uploaded into the online pornography space. And it's a vicious cycle. And then again, to your point, looking at those societal impacts of increases in child sexual abuse, in violence against uh, sexual partners, women in particular, all of these things, we have these conversations on the interconnectedness of, and the systemic injustice in other areas of life, such as with racial injustice, you know, that's been a conversation in the United States, right? And we have to recognize that those systems of injustice, they're not limited. They, they flow through all the different injustices that we see as a modern society and sexual abuse and exploitation are no different. Yeah, when you think about the you know the individuals who are in these pornographic films, I mean something that you know we're highly conscious of in our work with survivors is the ongoing impacts of the trauma that they experience while they were being trafficked and potentially even the traumatic experiences they had prior to their trafficking experience that made them vulnerable. But that when you have 
you know, these videos and images um, that may be connected to those experiences that are online, that are accessible. It's one of those things that the trauma stays with them throughout their lives. And it's something that doesn't go away and keeps impacting them, even when they've tried to move on and that this stuff keeps coming up again and again. And just those lasting impacts can be devastating on people's lives. Something I didn't know, for Pornhub specifically, and I'm not sure about other uh, pornography websites, users could download the videos. So even if someone has come and said, you know what, I was having consensual sex with this man, this woman, but I didn't know it was being filmed. I want it to take it down. How long does it take to actually make that happen, right? One of the stories is that it took a couple of years and then, okay, maybe it's not on Pornhub right now at this precise moment, but who else is going to have already downloaded that video and then uploaded again. There is no controlling that content once it has reached other people's computers. One of the women in the New York Times piece was saying that she dropped out of school out of the like pressure and the, the trauma of that happening and how it impacted the way people were talking to her and currently homeless and experiencing a really difficult time in one, mental health, but two, even like staying at and finding a job and finding a community that feels safe in, in her own recovery process, like from someone uploading that video. How can we even stop something like that? Even Hollywood, with all of its resources, can't stop the piracy and the distribution of its own material. Even though it doesn't make it available for download, it gets stolen and disseminated across the world, and they lose millions and millions of dollars as a result of that. Then you take that and you apply it to the world of pornography, where these are actual people's lives and their bodies that are being ripped off of the internet freely. And so it is a complex trauma experience for the survivor. There are companies making millions of dollars off of this. What is their responsibility to the individuals who are impacted by it, to people who are trying to get this information taken down, or to stop it from coming up in the first place when you're talking about particularly children or people who are there in non-consensual arrangements? We think there is an enormous burden on these platforms. And unfortunately, it's a burden that they have long shirked and tried to avoid. In a, but the reality is sites like Pornhub and MindGeek, who owns Pornhub, their profit model is predicated on unverified user uploaded content because that is free content for them. So MindGeek makes money by saying, upload pornographic content to our website for people to watch for free. And so they get a huge volume of traffic from people that want to fulfill their demand for commercial sex buying through pornography. And then MindGeek monetizes that traffic the way Facebook or YouTube do with their own traffic and sells ads. And so the billions of dollars that MindGeek themselves through their advertising company admits that the pornographic ad industry is in the 80 billion plus territory annually. That's all made possible by all of this free content. And when you have all of this free content, part and parcel with that is non-consensually shared material, is child sexual abuse, is sex trafficking victims being raped, is people being coerced and sedated on set, and all of it being money in the pockets of these industries, these corporations. 
Right, and it's more than just Pornhub, right? So it's not like we can stop Pornhub and then we've fixed the problem. I mean, it's also kind of mainstream platforms like Google, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I mean, these other social media sites also have a major issue with the sharing of pornographic material as well. Even if they do have more content moderators, they can't seem to keep up. Right. Yeah. The main difference being that they're not designed to profit off of that material the same way that Pornhub and other pornographic sites are. But you're right that a lack of legal regulation has disincentivized other tech companies from truly prioritizing preventing it. Because there are things in the Communications Decency Act and Section 230 that make it really difficult for tech platforms to be held legally accountable for failing to appropriately address these issues. And so in addition to needing to hold the pornography industry accountable for literally being built to profit off of these crimes, we also have the challenge of needing to improve our own laws in our country and around the world that push technology companies to a higher standard of proactiveness when it comes to fighting this type of abuse and exploitation. Pornhub, again, just as an example, attracts 3.5 billion visits a month, which is more than Netflix, Yahoo, or Amazon. So this is a major industry. And like Annie mentioned, it's, it's not just Pornhub, right? It's even all these other sites. Google returns over 900 million videos on a search for young porn. And so I ne had never considered how easy it is for someone to access this kind of content and how easy it is for someone to kind of share this. How does that intersect with free speech? Can you explain that? So the type of content we've been talking about is illegal and is not considered speech. That's the number one argument. Number two, you know, let's say for the sake of the argument, you had everything I's dotted, T's crossed, everything was legally produced. That can still be obscene content that the U.S. Supreme Court has deemed is not considered speech and can be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. And so there's only a very small segment of material left that it doesn't fall into those categories and might be considered free speech. And so when it comes to the commodification and abuse of other human beings' bodies, and then when it comes to obscenity, we're not talking about free speech anymore. We're talking about crimes. We're talking about human rights that are being violated in the production of this material, that are being violated in the consumption of this material. And so while we each have the right to say what we want about what is right for us to do and consume and how we interact sexually with other human beings, it does not give us the right to sexually destroy or mentally or physically destroy other human beings in person or via pornography. I really appreciate you making that distinction. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's probably helpful for the listeners as well. Yeah. Whether it's Google or Facebook or Twitter, as they're facing more pressure on the issue of proactively combating child sexual abuse, they're fighting tooth and nail against any legislation that would amend Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act because they know it's going to cost them more money to be proactive in those fights, going to impact their bottom line. And they don't want to be held liable for things that they know that they've let slip through their fingers by not being proactive. The American people are actually having our freedoms deprived by the way Communications Decency Act Section 230 is currently written. Because not a one of us 
can hold these platforms accountable in the court of law or even try to. And that's not right. And so can you expand upon that a little bit and talk about what some of the kind of efforts have been to file lawsuits against these companies or push for liability or greater accountability and even some of the work that Nicosi is doing in that space? So we had a, a big victory a couple of years ago with the FOSTA-SESTA legislation that passed and did amend Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to say that these platforms cannot avoid accountability. They can't avoid litigation if they are knowingly facilitating sex trafficking. That was the takedown of Backpage.com, which had become a massive hub for the buying and selling of victims for commercial sex buying. And right now, Nicosi, for the last 18 months, has been hard at work on getting the Earn It Act passed, which would provide some other corrections related to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that would push corporations to proactively combat child sexual abuse material in a way that they haven't done before, or risk losing their legal immunity to being sued for child sexual abuse material related issues on their platforms. They have to be held both financially and criminally accountable for what they've done. And people could learn more about the Earn It Act and access those resources uh, on your website? That's right. EndSexualExploitation.org. That's our website. And yeah, we've got those actions and more information. If people have more questions, we've done explainers on the Earn It Act. So we've got that information for those who are concerned and those actions where people can, in less than five minutes, contact their elected officials and say, hey, we need to take care of this now. I love that. That's great. And so as we're talking about that, what are some steps for our listeners that they can take? So we're talking about drivers out on the road, members of their community. What are some of those actions that are on your website? So the earn it one uh, that we talked about, allow people to contact their senators and say, hey, here's what the earn it act is. Here's why I support it. Or in the case of Pornhub and everything that's come up, over the last couple of months and all the attention, we have an action that specifically contacts your attorneys general in your different states or your congressional representatives in your different states to say, hey, you need to call for a criminal investigation into Pornhub and other sites like it. So those are the two big ones we're pushing people toward right now. The Earn It Act, because of how that would help really on the tech side of things and towards Pornhub and other porn sites for criminal investigations for how that would impact the pornography industry. Yeah, I love that you just have the the language right there, easy to send, to review, to look at all of it. So I love that we can just point people over to Nicosi for that kind of information. And so we're talking about some of these broader systemic, right? We're talking about laws you can pass. What about the, the individual responsibility? So as we're talking about people who are viewing porn or some of those levels, what would you, what would you say and, and speak into that? First of all, it's never too late to do the next right thing. No matter where any of us are at in our journey of learning about these issues or struggling with our own consumption of this material, we have the opportunity to change that now, no matter what has happened before. And there are many resources out there. Uh, We've got them on our website. There are others out there. You're not alone. We know the data shows that we've all encountered this to some degree in our lives. And so got to get the stigma off of talking about it and re-engage these issues as individuals and say, I can 
do better next time. I can overcome this now and I can be a part of the solution. And what has really inspired me, like why I do my work at Hat is because I know that each person, man, woman, child, everyone deserves a full and thriving life, full of dignity, every single person. And so this is something you want to get more involved in. We do Truckers Against Trafficking, right? We have our man-to-man addressing demand campaign. So this is addressing demand for commercial sex. We have a, a great video that's meant to be a conversation starter around this issue. What you were saying, Jake, of let's destigmatize this conversation. Let's create a space where we can be open with each other, process through this, and recognize the reality of what's going on so that each person can find that full and thriving life. Annie, is there anything else you would like to add to this conversation? We don't need to feel overwhelmed by any of this. There are clear steps that each of us can be taking that make a difference. So whether it's supporting policies or laws that help hold companies accountable, whether it's being vigilant when you're out on the road and you know making that call when you see someone who is in need or who may be a victim. You know, these are all things that you can do and you have power in your lives to make a difference on. Jake, it was so good speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your experiences and the work of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, or NACOSI. You mentioned to our listeners that they could get involved in addressing sexual exploitation online by joining NACOSI and calling their politicians to act, as well as taking personal steps to heal from your own decisions. I will make sure to put all of those links in our resources, in our show notes, so definitely make sure to check those out. There is no issue too big to address, especially when it means that we can bring justice and prevent exploitation. And that's why we created this podcast for you, our listeners. So please make sure to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it so we know how we're doing and that we can share this content with others. And of course, make sure to share this with your colleagues, friends, and family members. You are the everyday heroes whose choices to take a second look or step up in a conversation really is driving freedom. 